Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. And there is a lot to get to this week. So what is on your radar? All right. Well, obviously Russia, Ukraine, but we are going to discuss the martial law that was recently declared in those annexed regions of East Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, well, after that, we'll go into this seemingly competing nuclear exercises between NATO and the U.S. Um, and I do want to discuss after that the resignation of Liz Truss as British Prime Minister. Yeah, that's wild. That happened uh, really fast. Yeah, beat out by a head of lettuce. Yeah, what? Um, <laughs> hey, did you not see the head of lettuce? No, no. I don't know why I agreed. And then I'm like, wait, you <laughs> did you see a head of lettuce? <laughs> so anybody listening, you can go look that up. It, it was quite funny. Um, what's happening there isn't funny, though. So we'll get yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we'll start talking about uh, China. So there were these Chinese elections that went on uh, this week. And also there was a report about China opening police stations in various other countries. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, exactly. So we'll get into some of that. And, and I can't explain all of it because I don't understand it completely. But we'll get into it. We're going to have little kiosk countries. You can just go yeah. start planting police stations in countries all over the world. Is that what we're doing now? I mean, that's wild. Little kiosk country. Yeah. You can't <laughs> yeah, come little. in here. You can't come in here. This is ours. We bought it, guys. We got we, it. We put this here, so it's ours. Wow. Yeah. So we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> and and then, um, not to be outdone... We'll talk about North Korea's nuclear tests and what, what's going on in that country. Ugh. And then this week's History's Mysteries is about oh, yeah. Betty the Spy. I honestly... fun for- story. I forgot History's Mysteries existed. What? Honestly. What's the yeah. best part? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking we were phasing it out, honestly. Yeah. I didn't... <laughs> Even though we... The only time we didn't do one was last week, but... I still forgot about it. Like I've, yeah. already the, I've already made space for other useless crap to take space in my head rent free. <laughs> rent free. Rent free. <laughs> I already forgot about history's mysteries. All right, let's get to it because we have a lot to get through. Um, what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? All right, so the news uh, remains bleak for Ukrainians as Russia continues the shelling of large cities within Ukraine. Now, compounding the situation is how close Russia is getting to previously untouched cities, uh, mm-hmm. like the western city of Lviv, near the Polish border. Uh-oh. Oh, uh, really? And yeah, they're, they're doing that by staging troops along the Belarusian border. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's given Russia a tactical advantage in the west of Ukraine. Okay, well, <clears throat> let's talk about Belarus before we get 
into the other stories. You answered a question last week about how Belarus says it is defending itself against terrorist activities coming from Ukraine. Do you feel like that messaging will lead to a possible false flag event in Belarus in order to inject that military into the conflict? That's an excellent question. Um, And so you're kind of reading my mind in understanding how Russia works with the false flag events. I'm not reading your mind. I'm following behavioral patterns. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And using your gut a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, So there always tends to be a warning first. Yes, Putin will come out and say, oh, this may happen. Mm -hmm. And then they they carry out the false flag attack in accordance with the warning. And that's done um, to achieve whatever goal they had in mind. And uh, so in this case, it would be getting Belarus officially involved in the occupation in the invasion of Ukraine. Even though Belarus is claiming they don't want to fight for. Yes. Okay. well, that makes sense. We'll keep track of the activities that are going on in regards to that. But yeah. um, since you mentioned achieving goals, Putin this week declared martial law in the regions that were recently annexed in eastern Ukraine. Um, can you explain martial law and what goal that achieves for Putin? Yeah, so first I'm going to say that we've officially moved past what Putin initially described uh, back in February as the intent, intent for the special military operation in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, now that those regions are annexed, the full plan can be carried out at this point. But didn't Russia make a push for Kiev early into the invasion? Yeah, they did. And so that turned out obviously to be a miscalculation if we can look back in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, and Putin got a lot of grief for it. Uh, but like I said, that directive was misguided. Um, and right now, what Russia is doing is more of what you know should have happened early on if they wanted to kind of shorten this conflict and achieve that goal of installing a pro-Russian government in Ukraine. What are you talking about? Uh, so I'm, I'm talking about something the U.S. has done very effectively when going into conflict. Now, I understand I'm, I'm not talking about the morality of it. I'm just talking about the effectiveness. Okay. Um, and that is a, a shock and awe campaign. So yeah, it, we do do that a lot, don't yes. we? And and what that is is just firing missiles at tactical locations at these military sites and completely disrupting the opposing military's operations. And you really want to do this before you start deploying a military presence in that country. All right, got it. Then um, let's get to the definition of martial law before we get to what that means for those recently annexed regions. Okay, so martial law is just the temporary placement of a military authority as opposed to a civilian government. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually invoked in a time of war, rebellion, or natural disaster. Yeah. Now, when martial law is in effect, the military commander of an area or a, an entire country has unlimited authority to make and enforce laws. So what this means is that Russia can now conscript those people that were recently annexed Mm-hmm. into military service to help Russia continue their push into Kiev. Um, well, do those individuals have a choice in this matter? So they did a few months ago uh, when they could have fled the region to other locations. But, you know, honestly, they're going to be forced into mil- military service or go to a Russian prison as a deserter. And neither of those options are good. And, you know, as we always say, we are talking human lives. And these human lives are being used as pawns in this war. Um. Well, speaking of pawns, it feels like nuclear weapons are being used as maybe not pawns, but definitely some sort of chess piece in this conflict. 
What is the latest on the competing nuclear drills with NATO and Russia? All right. Um, first, I'm going to say that both countries hold these drills periodically. Regardless of what's going on, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and especially the um, the one that's going on in Russia was previously planned a year ago. Um, and it usually takes, it, it happens every year and it usually takes place around this time. Oh, um, okay. But I do agree the threat of nuclear attack has been concerning. Um, once again, we're talking about human lives. I do want to keep reiterating <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, and those human lives that we're talking about, it's not the ones that are making the decisions, if that makes any sense. Of course that makes sense. We okay. know that they don't have any choice with what their government is doing right now. Yeah. Um, so you are saying the ones who would decide to use these weapons aren't the people at risk of dying, maybe? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So the ones who are going to suffer, and always the ones who suffer, are the ones who don't want these used at all. Okay, well, let's start with Russia and discuss what they're doing during these drills. All right, so Russia's what they call Grom drills are going to involve large-scale plans to show off its strategic nuclear forces, but it's also going to hold live missile launches. So with, quote, live missile launches, are NATO and the U.S. going to track those missiles to make sure they aren't targeted at their countries? Yeah, so to calm any fears, so there's going to be, uh, and there always are, a full team of analysts yeah. and experts. Yeah, and just people are kind of keyed up right now, yep. so... They need the information to assuage their fears. Yeah, and we're not the experts or the analysts on this, you know, that are tracking it. We're just... Nobody, nobody called me an expert. <laughs> <laughs> nobody. But, but those people will be tracking every movement of Russia's arsenal. Um, mm -hmm. Now, we did post a... Um, we posted a blog on how to protect yourself during a nuclear strike. Mm -hmm. um, and I know there's a lot of nuclear talk, but I do want to calm anyone who may be scared. There is zero evidence that nuclear weapons will be used outside of Ukraine. And there's a very low probability that they're going to be used within Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Also, remember, that can all change at a moment's notice. Yeah. But honestly, going zero to nuclear strike, that's not going to happen instantaneously. I do appreciate you calming people down a bit. Including me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we can move on from the nuclear talk, as I'm sure people want to move on from that discussion completely. So let's stick to Europe. And you wanted to discuss the resignation of British Prime Minister Liz Truss, right? Yes. And, um, and so this is not a discussion about a singular event, but mm -hmm. this culmination of events coming out of the UK. Yeah, they have a lot going on. Lots going on. And, and we'll talk about why that's important. Um, so the first, you, you know, Boris Johnson had to resign because multiple people in his cabinet quit. Mm -hmm. And then they lose the longest reigning monarch in Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And then just over a month later, Liz Truss is forced to resign after she started promoting some pretty unpopular tax cuts. Unpopular for who? <laughs> uh, well, it seemed unpopular for the people in the UK. Like the actual uh, people didn't want it? Yes. Wow. A revolt from the people because of inflation and a recession oh. hitting. Yeah. And they're going to have to pay for stuff. Um, so. Oh, you, whoa, they have to pay I, for stuff still. Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> and, and how does the government make money? Yeah. 
taxes. Though. They steal it from. No, I'm just kidding. They they take taxes, taxes from people. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason I think that this is important is mm-hmm. that the UK government is honestly in disarray. And this comes at a time when it's likely that this is the government and the monarch that we will see in Britain when they get involved in another war. And war means money, right? Yeah, money. And then it also means who's going to lead the military into a future war. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the very, the, you know, the prime minister is very active during conflict. Yeah. I'm sure everybody listening knows Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Um, he became a very important figure globally because he was prime minister during World War II. Yeah. Uh, he was instrumental in forming alliances and in how to utilize their war funds properly. Basically, they need to get it together and support their people. Yeah, that's exactly it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, well, I'm going to take this as a proper segue into Chinese elections. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that fits. <laughs> so it fits yeah. each topic we were discussing in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's go back to 2018 in China when Xi Jinping amended the Constitution to remove term limits on the presidency. Because of course. Of course. And yeah. this made him the leader of China for life or until a coup removes him from power. Just wow. Yeah, so this week, China's China is holding the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, mm-hmm. which is believed to re-elect, and they will re-elect Xi Jinping um, as president, or an even more ominous distinction as chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. What, but... Wait a second. If he changed the constitution to remove term limits on the presidency, why do they need to have an election if he's just going to stay in power? Or is this for, oh, this is, what is this? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so what's going on is, is basically it's just like pomp and circumstance. So oh. he's going to get elected, you know, every, um, every five years it convenes they to just have- hold an election. They just have a stupid election just to show, look, all the people actually want me to stay in power kind of thing. Yep, exactly. So so people actually cast ballots. It's not just like for show. Oh, no, it's for it's all for show. No one really votes. Oh, no. That's what I was asking. Yeah. People really voted. Okay, that's. Yeah, uh, it's it's the people within the uh, um, the National Congress that make the vote. Okay. So what is the concern with the title of chairman of the Chinese Communist Party? What, why is there concern with that title? Yeah, that title hasn't been used since Mao Zedong. And Mao Zedong was a brutal um, dictator. Okay, well, I'm sure that does concern a lot of people. Now I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, staying with China. But moving to their foreign activities, why is China opening police stations in other countries and how are they getting away with it? How can you do that? I do not understand. I'm just so confused. It reminds me of the little police station in the center of Times Square in New York City. It just always. It it, doesn't seem real. 
it it doesn't place. seem real it doesn't yeah it just doesn't seem real I, yeah so <laughs> it's a very interesting um it's a very interesting story uh because they were created and they were sent to other countries to combat what they call transnational crime um mm. especially telecommunications fraud which has already seen the arrest of a large number of Chinese nationals that live abroad. So it's to arrest their people? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like skirting the authority of the country. Like if they don't have um, extradition treaties or something, yep. they can just swoop in, grab the people they want, and drag them back to the country. Okay. It, exactly. I, I still don't think it's right, but I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I were a country that wanted to keep tight control on my people, I would do something sketchy like that, too. But, you know. Yeah, it's it's far reaching. And it's in, I think it's said 21 different countries. It's crazy. So um, that's quite a police state that they're trying to establish here. Long <laughs> arm of the law. Has a very, very long <laughs> arm. Have they been successful in combating the transnational crime? And what the heck is a transnational crime? All right. So I guess first we'll talk uh, okay. what a transnational crime is. Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah. And that it usually deals mostly in like human and drug trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, but it's basically a crime that involves more than one country. So, mm -hmm. you know, drug and human trafficking, moving those pieces across borders. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, China is po policing their own citizens doing crimes in other countries. Yeah, you sound extremely skeptical. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's because I've did a deep dive into this and the tactics. And maybe, yeah, and maybe <laughs> what they say isn't actually what their intentions are. Okay, right. Lay exactly. it on us, please. We need to hear this. So uh, what I found was the the tactics being used have been described as problematic. Because they um, they target suspects without firmly establishing links to an actual crime, they also don't mm -hmm. adhere to the due process of the countries that they're in. Of course, they don't. And yeah, and so here is a, a fifteen month period from April two thousand one or April two thousand twenty one yeah. to July twenty twenty two that Chinese authorities arrested two hundred thirty thousand suspects in that manner that has been described as targeting suspects without firmly establishing links to crime. Um, that's quite a, the criminal network, if it's true. That is huge. So what, you know, the question always is, what is really going on, right? Yeah. And, and what really is going on is that the CCP wants access to their people, even outside mm -hmm. of China. Um, but they're really targeting political dissenters who may have traveled to other countries for political asylum. I don't understand how they're getting away with putting police stations in different countries anyways. Can't you identify their locations and sweep them the F out of there? Like You can, but this understand. was done this was uh was not done in a way where they went to the country and said, Hey, can you approve our police station? This is done in um in locations that China has a, a huge um, population in and they utilize businesses Chinese businesses in those countries to set up these police stations it's not an officially sanctioned police station uh -huh. but they are sending security personnel to those places to police their own citizens 
Well, are any of these countries planning to remove these offices? So not that I've seen right now, um, Mm -hmm. because this is just coming to light. So a lot of the countries are just finding out about this to include (laughs) the U.S. Yeah, well, (laughs) but you're not alone because even our own U.S. representatives were unaware and they are now calling for answers on who exactly approved the branch that there is in New York City. There is a branch in New York City. I'm not surprised, though. Mm. I mean, they already own so much of our stuff. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Well, while I sit here and try to process and wrap my head around this new information, let's discuss North Korea, who continues to provoke South Korea and Japan like they have a leg to stand on. But Yeah, they're um, what we would say while and out. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, on this podcast, we say that a lot. I know. Uh-huh. Uh, but North Korea has fired hundreds of artillery rounds and rockets into the sea off of both East and West Coast. That is this week alone. Mm-hmm. That's really scaring Japan and South Korea. And it's scaring South Korea so much that it's eyeing acquiring nuclear weapons as a deterrence from North Korea. Oh, good. More nuclear talk. Yeah, and we can't talk North Korea and not talk nukes. Mm-hmm. So um, they are close to completing a seventh underground nuclear test. Um, and honestly, all the talk about Putin being crazy and may use nuclear weapons, North Korea is, in my opinion, the biggest wild card in the nuclear discussion. Well, yeah, uh, I yeah, I you agree. agree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this—I well, mean—it's due to the extreme privacy that Kim Jong-un has, and we really don't know what he is going to do with his nuclear arsenal. So you would think that he needs to be provoked before he is using his nuclear arsenal. I don't think he needs to be provoked. He seems slightly unhinged. Well, okay. If he did need to be provoked... He wants more people to take him seriously. Definitely. And people still... I I mean, obviously, they're approaching him with kid gloves. Yep. And, you know, trying to, you know, keep him calm and everything. But I don't think anyone actually takes him as seriously as he wants to be taken. And so now that these other countries are also having conflicts, they're thinking with that distraction, he can just do whatever he wants to show his power when really he's just banking on these countries protecting him. And you make a really good point. Because what you said there is exactly what's going on. North Korea has been out of the news for a while because of Russia, Ukraine, China, um, you know, doing provocations it, towards Taiwan. Israel. Israel. Israel and Iran. Um, and, and there's no talk of North Korea. And he wants to be in the news all the time. He wants to mm. show off you know, what he has done as a leader. And that is what is happening with these increase of missile strikes and, and the provocations of missiles going over Japan. And Japan having to send out alerts to its own people to possibly take cover. Yeah. Where am I? You know, provocations, they don't always look like provocations. So, Well, we'll mark that as something else to keep an eye on for future episodes. I don't even know why I bother saying that because obviously we're going to keep an eye on all this stuff. And as things pop up, we will try to report on them. True. But now I believe we have reached that time of the show and 
we are at histories this week's histories mysteries that I forgot about. Yeah, you don't seem too excited about it. No, I'm excited. I guess, like well, I said, I've had one and a half cups of coffee, and it's not enough for me to be doing this right now. So, well, well, the not all great, here. <laughs> while the great Tiana gets some more sips from that mm-hmm, coffee, mm-hmm. I am going to start the story off, and I do think we have a very interesting person to discuss this week, and it's one who lived not too far from us. Um, from you and me. Oh. I am talking about Elizabeth Pete McIntosh, and she's also known as Betty the Spy. She was uh. born in Washington, D.C., but she lived her later years in nearby Lake Ridge, Virginia. Wait, did we hear, did I hear about this already? You probably did if you were scrolling the Waters End Instagram. Oh, they no, just no, named a beer that. after her. Oh, yeah, you friggin' dork. <laughs> Which got me to research her, and I, she is honestly a very fascinating figure in intelligence. Okay. Would you like to know more? I want to know why she moved to Lake Ridge, honestly. But, um, like, how sad. That is pretty sad. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, heard, I heard the cat. She agreed. Yep. I heard the cat where you are. Anyways, um, what was her role? As a spy. I mean, I think it's a safe assumption that with the name of Betty the Spy that yeah. she would be a spy. So what, what did she do? Yeah, I mean, that's a safe bet. Put a put a thousand on that one. Um, mm-hmm. She was a spy. Um, and she worked with another of History's Mysteries alums. Um, that's Julia Child, if everybody remembers that. Of course, people know who Julia Child is. Lasers and all the stuff she did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, also, never mind. Betty Betty the Spy was assigned to morale operations within um, the Office of Strategic Services, which I'm sure everybody knows is the precursor to the CIA. Not um, everybody. I forgot. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I don't remember all this stuff. Once you say it, it like leaves my brain almost immediately. Like I said, I've got to make room for very useless information that nobody needs to know on a day-to-day basis. Well, make room for this. Okay. Here are some fun facts to know. Okay. So her role in the OSS was as a disinformation writer. Oh. So she was a journalist before. Um and then when she got recruited, because she could write these great stories, that's what she started to do. So she would write fake reports or documents, which would undermine Japanese morale in the Pacific. Um, one of those is she created a script for a popular fortune teller. Uh, this is a fortune teller that goes on radio in China and Japan at that time. Uh-huh. And that script said this. It was this quote, something terrible is going to happen to Japan. We have checked the stars, and there is something we can't even mention because it is so dreadful and is going to eradicate one whole area of Japan. Whoa! That story is even more interesting when you find out later that same day, the atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. So she, so were they trying to warn people um, to get out of there because they knew that they were about to drop the bomb? Now, most historians believe that no one involved in that program knew about the bombs. And they were just was, told what to, they just directed, like what to say to, they, to they, the. Well, it's looked at as they wanted to cause fear in Japan and China to gain a tactical advantage in the war without knowing a nuclear bomb was going to be dropped. But that's not how I see it because it is too mm-hmm. much of a coincidence for me. 
Yeah. Especially the last part. Like the higher up people had to have directed her to write this script, but not told her why or kind of gave her that little piddling reason. (laughs) You're exactly right. That's how I see it. So someone who knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Made the directive for that script. For sure. She seems pretty important, but she doesn't get much talk in pop culture. Did she have any other intelligent successes? Yes, she successfully delivered explosives that were disguised as a lump of coal um, (gasps) Ah! to a Chinese operative. And that Chinese operative actually tossed the explosive into a train ferrying Japanese soldiers. Has she been featured in any movies or TV shows? Because she seems like a pretty perfect candidate for that sort of thing. I haven't found any. You know, it can be very like new, like a lot of intelligence characters are pieced together from different people. Yeah. Um, So I don't know 100%, but um, she did write the book, Sisterhood of Spies, The Women Mm -hmm. of the OSS. I think everybody should go get that book and read it and see the history of female spies. Mm -hmm. Now, she was forced to retire from the CIA in 1966 after some described her as adrift and removed from relevancy. But I also that's another thing that I can also see is she worked during World War Two. She did a bunch of great stuff during World War Two. And then she has to sit in an office at the CIA for years. I think she probably got pretty bored of that kind of stuff. Well, and uh, I will say that I think that just the stuff that she did during World War II, her story should be fully told just from that alone. But, you know, well, that's to be determined. (laughs) That'll happen. (laughs) They're still remaking Marvel movies. Yeah. Remaking Marvel movies. Are they doing another Spider-Man? Another Probably. Spider-Man. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, is there anything else for this week? No, after that, we are out of time for this week. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify and give us a five-star review because those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And finally, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram if you would like accurate news as it happens. And I'll put all that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.